Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, one of the things that maybe you've heard me say before is when you live in Chilliwack, I think it's kind of good sometimes just to take a look around and remind ourselves of uh, just the incredible city that we live in. I, I truly believe we live in one of the most beautiful places on earth. And something else that you might not know about Chilliwack is Chilliwack has become a basketball hotbed. Some of the best basketball in Canada is played right here in our city, in our region. And so I kind of want to take a second and, and recognize some teams from our city that did exceptionally well yesterday. So I'm going to start with uh, High Road Academy Senior Boys Basketball Team, the Unity Christian Senior Girls Basketball Team, both won silver in the provincial championships yesterday, and then the G.W. Graham Grizzlies and the uh, Unity Christian uh, Flames won gold medals at the provincial championships. So yeah, that's pretty cool. We can celebrate that. I'm not saying that basketball is the best sport, <laughs> but it is pretty cool to see so much success in our city. Uh, one more thing before I jump in today. I want to give you a heads up that we are launching a new series next week called Here Below. And it's kind of based around a study on the second last book of the Bible, the book of Jude. Okay, and the book of Jude is interesting because it's just one chapter and 25 verses. We're going to spend quite a while on it, though. It's amazing how long I can preach on one chapter and 25 verses, but it's a book all about spiritual warfare. And, and I believe this series is going to be unlike anything that we've ever done before. So you open up the Bible and you read in John uh, chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, um, I've come that you might have life, abundant life. But the thief comes only, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So Jesus is drawing our attention throughout the scripture, and specifically in John chapter 10, verse 10, that we are involved in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle raging around us. And what I would hate to do as a church is not give us a heads up. And so I really believe this series is going to be unique, and I, and I think we're going to see breakthroughs, and we're going to see people find freedom in areas that maybe you've been struggling your whole life wondering, what is it about this area that I can't break through? We're going to see that happen starting next week. So I would ask that you make it a priority to be here next week and in the weeks to come as we, uh, as we tackle, to me, what is going to be an incredible and exciting um, increased readiness for us as we live our lives. So it's March the 8th, 2020. It's exactly one year since we launched this expanded vision called MORE. So a bunch of us who call Southside Church our home about a year ago, we made two-year pledges. And together, we, we made a two-year, $6.5 million pledge. And of course, we made that pledge not because we thought it would make a difference for two years, but we really made that pledge based on the belief that the ramifications of our two-year pledge would extend far beyond two years, that would expand throughout the generations, really. And, and to put it real simply, we, we pledged $6.5 million because we wanted to bring more help, more hope, and more home to this city that we love. And the question that I began to ask last week, and I'm going to continue asking and answering it this week, is why? Why $6.5 million to bring more help, more hope, and more home? It's an important question because I think the answer to that question defines us. I think it defines our mission and it defines our meaning. I think it defines our, our purpose and our passion. I really think to, to a large degree it defines you and it defines me, it defines us, it defines what in the world are we doing here at Southside Church, placed in this city at this time. 
So last week we started by asking, why more help? And, and, and to kind of review it quickly, you can always go back to southsidelife.com and watch it, but to review it quickly, we decided that we, need to, we needed to alter this equation called helpless. That there's thousands of people in this city who literally feel helpless, devoid of help. And the equation goes like this. Helpless equals lost plus alone. In order to feel truly helpless, you would have to feel lost plus alone. First of all, to feel lost means that uh, whatever the destination is, let's call it a life worth living, that you've come to the conclusion that you really can't get there from here. (laughs) That you just can't. That you're lost. But in order to feel truly helpless, devoid of help, you would also need to feel alone. In other words, not only can I not get there from here, but there is no one who is able or, for that matter, willing to help me get there. And we decided years ago that we were going to try to alter that equation. And it's really a departure from some examples that you find in historical churches or even in historical North American Christianity, because sometimes there's been this concept that a church will say to a person, we will help you, we'd be happy to do life with you, we'd be happy to come alongside you once you help yourself. So, so look, w- when you straighten up and fly, right? When you get your act together, when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then we would be happy to help you. And of course, that's ridiculous. Because a helpless person looks at that, and whether or not they articulate it or not, what they're thinking at the core of who they are is this. Hey, you don't get it. I'm helpless. If I could help myself, I would. And if I could help myself, I wouldn't need your help. And so so what we decided is instead of waiting for people to kind of help themselves, that we would go to where they were at and help them. So whether that means extending a helping hand to a family walking through a critical illness with a sunshine fund, or or stepping up to help the kids living below the poverty line at the Shehala school, working with young moms going through crisis pregnancy situations, you know, helping out with single moms and single dads by washing their vehicle and fueling it up. Like we know that we can't fix everything, not even close. But, But what we found is that if we can do something If we can do something, we can alter that equation. And so instead of lost plus alone, they realize, you know what? In a little way or in a big way, you're not alone. We're with you. We're with you. To the best of our ability, we're with you. You're not alone. And if we can alter that equation, what ends up happening, and we've seen this happen hundreds of times, what ends up happening is suddenly they don't feel so lost anymore. Like they, they've been as this holding pattern saying, there's this life worth living and I can't get there from here. Like there's no way. And, and, and what we've seen happen is that they find that there is a way where there seemed to be no way and the way has a name and his name is Jesus. Hundreds, hundreds of times we've seen that play out. So why more help? That's why. Why more hope? $6.5 million. More help, more hope, more home. Why more Hope. Well, to answer that question, I want to tell you a story that I wrote several years back for one of our Christmas services. It goes like this. Experts say, and this is true, by the way, that a person can live uh, 40 days without food. I almost said 40 years. That would be a long time. Uh, 40 days without food, three days without water, and eight minutes without air. 
but less than a second without hope. So in that sense, hope is life's most precious commodity. Like when, 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 when hope's gone, darkness descends. A, a person can't really live without hope. And what's true for a person is actually true for a family too. Any family. The family that I'm thinking about right now is actually a family that lived about 2,000 years ago. Out in the fields near Bethlehem. His name was Shimon. He was a shepherd. And he, he lived outside of Bethlehem with a, a, a bunch of other shepherds in a little kind of shepherd's village. His wife's name was Mara. He called her beautiful Mara. Every day he would pinch himself. He couldn't believe that someone so beautiful would marry him, but she did. And they had two kids. The oldest was a daughter named Joanna, seven years old. He called her angel because to him, she was his angel. Big brown eyes, a ready smile, just like her mom. Always willing to help, always willing to pitch in, always willing to do her part and more. I mean, she was even willing to look after her little brother, Jonathan, four years old. What a kid, Jonathan. They call him Tornado because he moved like a whirlwind. You never had to wonder where that kid was. You could hear him long before he ever showed up. <laughs> Full of rambunctious, contagious, never-ending energy. He was the Energizer Bunny before there was such thing as an Energizer Bunny, Jonathan. He had this uh, contagious laugh and an ear-splitting shout. The times were tough for this little family living in the fields near Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Shepherd's life was hard to start with. In first century Jewish culture, uh, shepherds were mistrusted and therefore mistreated. Barely, barely made enough to live on. And Mara would stretch things as much as she could, but uh, setbacks would come. And one of the regularly scheduled setbacks was a visit from the tax collector. The tax collector would show up every few weeks, backed up by Roman soldiers. He could take whatever he wanted, as much as he wanted. Sometimes he would take a lot, and sometimes he would take everything. And sometimes the family ate, and sometimes literally Mara and Shimon went without so the kids could have a little. See, for this little family living out in the fields near Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, hope was fading. Which is a problem too, you know? Because experts say that a person can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but less than a second without hope. See, when hope's gone, darkness descends. A person can't live without hope, and what's true for a person is true for a family. And they hit rock bottom on a day that started with a lot of promise. Shimon woke up, his two kids, Joanna and Jonathan, early one morning, and they set out for Bethlehem. It was about a one-hour walk. Shimon had gathered some wool over the weeks, and he brought a little bit of milk with him, hoping to sell it at the market. It was just a little bit, but you know what? A little bit is a lot when you're scratching to feed your family. So they took the one-hour walk into Bethlehem, and things went real well, actually. They got a booth, and they sold a little bit, and that's good because a little bit is a lot when you're scratching to feed your family, you know? The kids said, can we, go, can we, can, can we run around, and can we, can, can, can we investigate? They said, and uh, Shimon said, no, you need to stay with me. So they had sold a bit, and about a half an hour before they were going to head back home. And a Pharisee saw them. If I could describe for you what a Pharisee was in first century Jewish culture, I would call a Pharisee a religious cop. 
Very, very powerful person in first century Jewish culture. He would have been dressed to the nines. Every, every, he would have stood out. Everyone would have known exactly who he was. Full of pomp and circumstance and pride and arrogance and disdain and religiosity. He saw Shimon and Jonathan and Joanna and he headed over to their booth. People scattering to get out of his way. When he got there, he, he looked at the three of them. Shimon, Joanna, Jonathan. He sniffed. And then he sneered as he began to shout. People of Bethlehem, are you not ashamed? <laughs> There's a shepherd in your market. Shepherds are inferior. Shepherds are immoral. There is no doubt that this shepherd has stolen this wool and he's stolen this milk. Are you not ashamed? People of Bethlehem. And Shimon just stood there. By, that, by now, a large crowd has gathered. Doesn't really have time to say anything, so he's just shaking his head. I would never, ever, ever steal. But the Pharisee continues, and now Joanna and Jonathan are crouched behind his legs, hiding their faces away from this, the disdain and the judgment and the hatred. The Pharisee says, People of Bethlehem, are you not ashamed? This man, these people, are shepherds. They're immoral, they're inferior, they're despicable. They're an embarrassment. And he paused. All eyes fixed on Shimon, and he didn't know what to do, so he spoke up. He said the first thing that came to him, he said, and yet it was King David who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. And so, but that's as far as he got. The Pharisee slapped him across the face. It echoed throughout the market. So hard, in fact, that the welts would last for days. Blood began to trickle out of his nose. The Pharisee screamed, silence, shepherd. No one wants to hear from you. He nodded at the crowd, and the crowd descended on their little booth, tore up the wool, poured out the milk, took the money, and they left. And now there's Shimon, Joanna, and Jonathan. They stumble out of Bethlehem with the taunts and the jeers and the hatred and the disdain of the people following them every step of the way. It's a one-hour walk back home, and they walked it in silence. Oh, jo Joanna tried to make conversation, but she could tell that her dad wasn't into it. Jonathan once spoke up and complained that his feet were sore and that it was too hot, but one look from his dad said, not now. One hour of silence. They got back to the hut, and you know what kids are. They, they see Mara, they see their mom, and finally they're holding back the tears. They break down, and they're just crying their eyes out. They run to Mara. She says, what's wrong, what's wrong? And Shimon just shakes his head and walks into the hut. He won't speak. It's only a couple hours before he has to leave. See, he's working the night shift tonight. He's got to work out in the, the fields, keeping watch over his flocks near Bethlehem that night. But he doesn't speak. Finally, about five minutes before she knows he have to go, has to go, Mara walks into the hut, and they have a conversation. Jonathan and Jonathan and Joanna lean their ears against the side of the hut and they listen to the conversation and it's like nothing they've ever heard their parents speak about before. 
They've heard their parents hurting before. They've heard them sad before, but never hopeless, never like this. Shimon finally breaks his silence. He says, you'd be better off without me. What kind of man can't even provide for his own family? They're listening carefully, so Joanna and Jonathan hear the quiet sobs of their mom. Shimon continues, this isn't any kind of life. This is not a, a life worth living. And he gets up and begins to walk out of the hut. Mara finally speaks up. She says, but we do love you. And we do need you. And I am proud of you. And we will be waiting for you to come back home tomorrow. No answer. So Shimon walks out. He's got the night shift. He's working out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks near Bethlehem that night. He's leaving five, six, seven steps. Finally, Joanna can take it no more. Little seven-year-old comes running from behind the hut. She calls out to her dad, Daddy, Daddy, and he stops, and she wants to make it better, you know? And she's got tears flowing down her face, and she smiles, one of those smiles, and, and her dad turns, and he's still got the dry blood under his nose, and he looks, and she says, I love you, Daddy. And he just gives her a little wave. He turns, and he walks to the night shift. See, for this little family living out in the fields near Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, hope is fading, 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 fading fast. Which is a problem because experts say you can actually live 40 days without food. Three days without water. Eight minutes without air. Can't live without hope, though. Person can't. Family can't. But something happened that night. Shimon went out into the fields near Bethlehem to keep watch over his flocks by night. I'll pick up the story. It's out of the Bible. And there were shepherds, I told you, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to man on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned. The shepherds returned. The shepherds returned. Glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Hope exploded into human history that night with a blaze of light. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. How? As a baby. In a manger. In a little town called Bethlehem. Why'd he show up? Because he knew we needed hope. You need hope. 
I can't live without hope. This city can't live without hope. See, we get around Christmas, we talk about the fact that Jesus was born, but I wonder how often we think about the fact that Jesus was born to die. See, Jesus grew up, and he lived life, and he, and he preached, and he healed, and he taught people about the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the hope 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 of God. And then the tide of public opinion turned against him. And he was arrested and, and beaten and nailed to a Roman cross. At three o'clock in the afternoon on that first Good Friday, Jesus hung on that cross, cross and breathed his last breath. And historians say that in that moment, at three o'clock in the afternoon, darkness descended across the entire land. Why? Because when hope is gone, darkness descends. And they took Jesus' body off the cross, what was left of it. They placed him in a tomb and they rolled a stone across the opening. And so now it was utter and complete and total darkness. And then on the third day, the ground shook and the earth quaked and the stone rolled away. And, 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 and light shattered the darkness. And the darkness is not, will not overcome it. <clears throat> and what's amazing is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped out of that tomb. See, when all seemed lost, all was one. Because when he walked out of that empty tomb, he made a declaration that spans history and eternity. And here's the declaration in my words. Let's hope rise. Let it rise for every boy and every girl, and every man, and every woman, and every family, and every city, and every church, and every person, everywhere, every time, let hope rise. Let darkness tremble. See, that's a story that needs to be told, because for you and me, for some of us, we've had an encounter with this Jesus. We've met him, and what we realize is that when he died, he died so that our sins could be forgiven. So, so that we could lay down our baggage and lay down our regrets and lay down our shame and lay down our sin and walk away and have a new start, a fresh beginning. That's hope. That's why he died, you know. And he rose again. He rose so that we could live life, a life worth living. The Bible says that after Jesus rose again and he, he ascended into heaven, and he sent his Holy Spirit to, to, to live with us. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Jesus is with you right now. And he wants to give you the strength and give you the guidance and give you everything you need to live a life worth living. I heard someone say the other day, um, man, wouldn't it have been cool to walk through Disneyland with Walt Disney? That'd be pretty fun, right? Like, just to ask him tons and tons of questions. To walk through Disneyland with the maker of Disneyland, Walt Disney. I had so many, I would have so many questions for him. One would be, why so many good rides and then small world? Why would you put small world in, no one likes small world. I said that last service and some lady was like, I like it. 
I don't think she's coming back. <laughs> but it, but I think I, I, I instantly thought when that guy said, man, it'd be cool to walk through Disneyland with Walt Disney. I thought to myself, but we get to walk through life with the author of life. With the creator of everything. The creator of me, creator of you. That's the life worth living. And part, and part of the life worth living is, the, is this, let hope rise in me and through me also. What I mean by that is part of this life worth living that, that y- you were created to live and that I was created to live is that we would share this story of Jesus. Every chance we got. So we, we would share the story of Jesus from the stage when we're preaching or we're singing songs, when we're shaking hands. We would share the story of Jesus in our families, with our friends, in our neighborhoods, at, at work, that we, w- we would just let hope rise. Because that's why Jesus came. Not only to change your life, but to give you the opportunity and the privilege and the blessing, the incredible journey of seeing other people's lives change through your life. Why? Why more hope? Because um, hope must rise. Hope must rise. And darkness tremble. We got a video that'll probably say it better than I can. Hi, my name is Henry. As a kid, God was safety. He was loving, caring, just like the best ever type of guy. And looking back, the fact that I lost that faith kind of sucks. When I was 10, my parents got a divorce and prayer in church and Sunday school ended for all of us. As for my personal faith, I remember thinking, if God was good, this probably wouldn't happen. I don't want to hope in God anymore. I felt like believing in God obviously hadn't gotten me very far. Apart from my home life, life as a kid was pretty good, and high school was awesome. I had good grades, good friends, a girlfriend, and I loved playing basketball with my team. The day after prom, I packed my bags, and I moved to Saskatchewan to work on an oil rig. But I wasn't mentally ready to make that much money. In immaturity, I drained almost all the money I had saved and got involved in partying and a lifestyle that I never meant to step into. The oil industry crashed while I was there. I needed to move home, leaving my goals and hope behind. I remember calling to tell my dad I was moving home. He told me I couldn't stay with him. I had disappointed him with my choices. My mom didn't have space. I phoned my Nana and she took me in. I was really grateful to have a place to live but I was still drinking, I was doing drugs, partying. I wasn't sleeping well, and I began having breakdowns. My head just kept screaming, you gotta be responsible. You can't reach out for help. You are your only hope. Why would you put this on someone else? I knew it was time to start thinking about changing, so I saved up and I got a place on my own. I started making better decisions, but at that point, I wouldn't have considered myself religious. I wanted to hope at a higher power, but I wasn't sure where to look. I was researching God online and looking for signs in my life, but I didn't know exactly who I was looking for or where I'd find the right answers. Throughout all this, I felt a lead in my heart to forgive my mom for something specific she had said to me years ago during an argument, which had ultimately led to the breakdown of our relationship. It sounds kind of cheesy, but I remember thinking, what would Jesus do? And so I just went with that. (laughs) So I drove to her house and I told my mom I forgave her. 
I felt the weight of bitterness lift from my chest, and in that moment, I really felt like God had led me to that decision, and I was so thankful I decided to listen. This made me want to continue listening for God's voice, and I felt like going to church was an obvious step in that direction. Pastor Mike coached me all throughout high school basketball, and I just loved the whole Manus family. I knew Mike was the pastor at Southside, and he was one of my favorite people to listen to ever. If I was going to try and go back to church, I knew it was going to be where he was. The first day at Southside, I walked up to the door and I felt a little out of place. I wasn't sure if everyone would look at me differently because I didn't belong there. But I was greeted at the door with big smiles and I immediately felt at ease. I sat at the back, trying to stay out of anyone's way. The band started playing and I just closed my eyes. Something about this place felt so right to me. When Mike came on stage, he spoke right into my heart. He talked about things I thought only I was going through and it felt like he knew I was there. I knew I had found something so good at this church and I kept coming back. One Sunday, Pastor Mike told a story about a famous art collector whose collection was getting auctioned off after he passed away. All of these people were there to buy priceless pieces and no one had any interest in the first portrait, one of the collector's son who had passed away before him. A neighbor who didn't have much money but who loved the man and his son bid 10 bucks and he won that piece. He then learned that he got to take the whole priceless art collection home because he placed value in the most important portrait. The auctioneer closes out the story by saying, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. The metaphor was really powerful. I couldn't shake it. I had spent my entire life searching for a way to get it all. But now I had finally found it. Jesus was offering to be the more I had been looking for and it's all starting to make sense. Then and there, I put my hand up to accept Jesus into my life. Soon after that Sunday, I heard that baptisms were happening at the church. I felt like this next step was an obvious one for me, but thoughts like, am I ready or worthy? Do I have what it takes to be good enough for this? Rolled around in my head. I never formally signed up for the baptism, but I wore shorts underneath my pants to church that morning, just in case. When the service was closing, I was so anxious. Everything inside me told me I wasn't good enough for this, but then the thought came into my head. Whoever has a son has it all. I'm not good enough, but if God is with me, and if he won't leave me, then I'm enough. Before I knew it, I was walking to the tank. It was scary and a bit overwhelming, but as soon as I came up out of the water, I felt so complete, so loved. I hopped out of the tank and there was Pastor Mike. I was surprised to see him standing there and I was soaking wet but he hugged me anyway. The last six months have easily been the best of my entire life. I honestly find myself stopping and thinking all the time, wow, this is wonderful. Like, this is really wonderful. <laughs> I feel like I'm starting to come back to the hope I had as a kid. I'm rediscovering God as who I believed him to be when I was little. All love, all caring, best ever. Just as God led me to himself by bringing me to Southside, he's continuing to lead me forward. I can see my life changing for the better, day by day with my family, my life choices, and the people in my life. I have hope again, and I can only see up from here. I wasn't able to say that for a long time. I know that life is still gonna be hard, and I know that stuff is still gonna come my way, but I have hope again. Whoever has a son has it all. Every day, I'm learning to choose his way because there's no hope like the hope I have now. Who cares?
Who cares, right? We do. We decided a long time ago that we do. God helping us, we do. That's why more hope. Finally, why more home? (laughs) To answer that question, I'm going to read you another story. It's actually a true story. It's one that I preached out of 14 years ago when I preached my first ever sermon as a youth pastor at Southside Church. True story. A number of years ago on Valentine's Day, a couple was enjoying a romantic drive. along a wooded section near Belle Chase, Louisiana. Something white shimmering in the trees caught their eyes. Their investigation led them to a dead teenager hanging from a limb, a white bedsheet knotted tightly around his neck. A farewell note laced with despair was near the trunk of the tree. It was addressed simply to Mom and Dad. I never did develop into a real person, and I cannot tolerate the false and empty existence I have created. What frustrated me most in the last year was that I had built no ties to family or friends. There was nothing of lasting worth and value. I led a detached existence. I'm a balm of frustration and should never marry or have children. It's safest to diffuse the balm harmlessly now. Simply cremate me as John Doe. Authorities circulated the youth's description and fingerprints to police across the country. He was later buried. Unidentified and and unclaimed. So I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told a group of youth from all over the city 14 years ago. That can't happen. That can't happen. As far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on you, that can't happen. One of the things maybe you notice is that when everybody else on staff gets up to explain this more expanded vision, they say, man, we're doing this more expanded vision because we want more help, more hope, and a home. I never say it that way. I'm the only one. I say it this way. More help, more hope, more home. Because for me, it's always made perfect sense. This culture we live in desperately, desperately, desperately needs more home. And we're building this building off of Vetter. And the only reason we're building it, the only hope that we're aspiring to is that it would be a place of home. See, when I think of home, I think of connection. I think of love and I think of authenticity. Our culture that we live in, this world we live in, we desperately need more home. We need more connection. I look around the world today, and and it feels like sometimes all I ever hear is what everybody has against everybody else. The things about you that I fear, the things about you that I don't like, the things about you that I disagree with. It's amazing. Like, can we start to talk a little bit? Can we start to live a little bit like, like, like we can come together once in a while? Instead of always focusing and living as if we need to scatter, why can't we come together? That's what a home looks like. Like when our kids were littler, there was 
just eight of us, you know, six kids and Corinne and me. And there'd be all kinds of scraps and all kinds of disagreements and all kinds of arguments in our house. But ultimately, we all knew that we were all going to come together. We all knew that. You know? Because we're family, you know? Like, what would happen if we started to live a little bit more like that in our world? When I was a younger guy, I used to love to argue. I would argue with you about anything you wanted to argue about. You want to argue about sports? Sure. You want to argue about politics? Let's go. You want to argue about how many angels could dance on the, pin, on the head of a pin? Yes, let's argue about that also. That would be fun. I would even argue with you if I knew I was wrong. I would just argue. I've lost my taste for it. I don't like it anymore. Part of it maybe is I'm just getting old. And part of it is I just look around this world and I think, man, what in the world would happen if we stopped focusing on everything that should tear us apart and stop actually thinking about what should be drawn us together? We're, we're family. We all have the same Heavenly Father. Imagine the difference we could make if we could come together. Imagine the ingenuity. Imagine the creativity. Imagine the hope that we could bring if we could come together. This world needs more home. We need more connection. We also need more love. I know that love is the most powerful, powerful force in the universe. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way. He said, hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Isn't that amazing? In the Bible, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved, loved the world that he gave his son. That's it. That's love. Love is giving, expecting nothing in return. Love is investing in another person, not looking to make anything out of it. Love is a sacrifice. Love is a sacrifice. For me, when I think about our home growing up, I, honestly, I can't really think of anything that I wouldn't have sacrificed for anyone in my family. And I think that's powerful, you know. So, so I'm saying, what I'm trying to say to you is I think love is the most powerful force in the universe. I think it's got exponential power to sh shatter hatred and shatter darkness. I believe that. So, so now I want you to think of something. So, so we, we, we do this two-year expanded vision, right? And, 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 we, and, and we pledge $6.5 million. $6.5 million. And listen to this. Listen, this is crazy. Bill Gates doesn't attend here. As far as I know. Bill, if you're watching online, I'd be happy to... Thank you. Um, but no, but what, what, what I really mean is this, though. What I really mean is $6.5 million represents sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Not a single person who pledged to the Moore campaign stroked a check and walked away going, Pff. Every single dime is a sacrifice. And you know what that is? That's love. So when you drive down Better Road, and you look off to the west and you see that building going up, every time you drive by, can you say this to yourself? Love built that. Love built that. Love built that. That's what's building that building. Love did. And love is powerful. 
It's got exponential power to shatter hopelessness and to shatter hatred. Love built that. And it just amazes me because we got this whole group of extraordinary world changers that came together about a year ago. And they sacrificially pledged. For some of them, what sacrificial pledge looks like, for some, for some people it was $300 over two years. It's incredible. It's amazing. Because for them that was a huge sacrifice. And for others, it was, it was way more than that. And it, that's amazing too. And that's an incredible sacrifice. For me, it's weird because I never sat around going, man, I sure hope. Dave, are you here? Dave, what was our original goal? Okay, so, I, 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 so we ended up pledging 6.5 million. The, the, the first pledge was 6 million. I never remember even thinking to myself, oh man, I hope we get 6 million. My goal from the beginning has been, what if every single person who calls Southside Church home just participates? just sacrifices. No one can do everything, but what if everybody did something? See, that's love. Imagine the sacrifice. Listen, imagine the sacrifice of giving to a building that, 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 that's, that's going to bless. Maybe the, maybe the person that you're going to bless the most is someone two generations from now, you're not even going to meet them this side of eternity. That's, that's amazing. And just keep thinking to myself, when the building opens, and I know Dave has asked me to stop speaking publicly about the date that the building is going to open because it puts a lot of pressure on him. So let's just say November 15th. So when the building opens on November 15th, just imagine that they're, 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 there's people on the welcome team and they're just welcoming people, you know? And they've made their sacrificial pledge. And someone comes walking up, much like Henry, who hasn't been to church for years and years and years or they've never walked into a church and the person walks up and you shake their hand and you say, I love you. And they maybe walk away thinking, you don't even know me. I know, but I love you. Love built this. Love, love built this. And we saved a seat for you. See, I think our world needs more home, more connection, more, more love, and more authenticity. We live in a world, you know this. Man, everyone's scared to admit they're imperfect. Everyone's scared to admit they're, they got a weakness. So we all put on a mask, and I don't blame us, to be truthful. I don't blame us. Because it seems like when you reveal that you're weak or when you admit that you're imperfect, man, like everyone is so quick to come after you, you know? But we decided that we're, we're going to be a, we're, we're, we're going to build a home, a home. Growing up, my mom used to say to me lots, she would say, uh, man, if the kids at school could see the way you act at home, oh man, they'd see a whole different you. Who did, who did I act like at home, by the way? Who, who, who was I acting like at home? Just me. Just real me. No mask. That's what we're building. Because that's what this culture needs. We need a place to be real. Every once in a while when I preach a, ma- a message like I did last week, when I talk a little bit about my past, I'll have people come to me and go, man, you better be careful. You know, you, you better be careful telling stories like that. It's just like you want to set a bit of a standard, you know? No, I don't. Well, at least, hey, at least the stories that you told were from 20 years ago, you know? No, no, no. I'll tell stories from 20 minutes ago if you want. So let me just be really clear here, just so that we all are on the same page. Without Jesus, I'm not all right. I'm broken. I'm a mess. Without Jesus, I don't stand a chance. 
but with him. I'm forgiven, and I'm free, and I'm strong, and he's healing me, and he's changing me, and if he saved me, one thing I know for sure, I don't know who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, but if he saved me, he can save anyone. But I also know this, God can't heal the person that I'm pretending to be. God can't heal the person that you're pretending to be. So we wanna build a place where people can just come and be real, you know? and have real relationships. Where it's not the me that I'm pretending to be relating to the you that you're pretending to be, but it's just real me and real you. So we, well, what we do is we take off the mask, we get healed, we get whole, and then we go out and we change the world. That's what I think we should do. So why? Why more help? Why more hope? And why more home? If I could summarize the whole thing, I would just say this, because hope must rise. It's got to. For every boy and for every girl, for every family, for every man, for every woman, for, for this church, for this city, hope must rise. And so together, here we stand at the one year mark. We got another year to go. In a second, I'm gonna call Dave up here and he's gonna explain to you how it works, but I'll just say this much. We're going to ask you to do one or two things. The first would be this. If you made a commitment a year ago, would you just reaffirm that commitment? In other words, I'm still in. Whatever I committed last year, let's go. Secondly, if maybe you were here last year and you still hadn't decided or, or, or you've come sometime in the last year and over these last two weeks you've been inspired and you want to be that kind of person. What's crazy is like uh, when we bring more hope, we get more hope. When we bring more help, we get more help. When we build a home, we experience more home. And you become inspired and you want to be a part of it. Can I ask you something? Could you help? Could you be a part of this? Can we all come together? No one can do everything. But what if we all did something? What if we all did something? See, I think that matters. So I'm going to call upon, I would humbly suggest the best looking pastor in North America, Dave Poole. So please welcome Dave Poole as he comes up. He said that three services in a row now. I mean, I receive it, but he might need to quarantine himself um, if he keeps that. You know, a year ago, when we launched this two-year expanded vision called More, to bring more help, more hope, and home to our city, we set a goal to that that all this sacrifice and effort and generosity and service would be so that we'd see 750 people over two years accept Jesus into their lives. And what's so cool to be able to share with you is on our one-year anniversary today, we've actually seen 395 people accept Jesus this past year. It's incredible. You know, and I, the band's going to play a song in a second. It's called With Everything. And I'm just so inspired and proud to be a part of a, a family that's willing to do everything or something or anything to continue to represent Jesus and bring more help, hope, and home to our city. And so Southside Church is your home. Today's for you. And, and if you're visiting today and still checking out Southside, you know, we hope that you feel like home and that you do become a part of this family. 
you all would have seen this on your seats as you came in today. It's a Renew Sunday commitment card. And what we're going to do now is as this band plays a song, there's three options on this card. The first one says, I'm new to this more journey. Maybe I wasn't here a year ago. And I do want to make a commitment over the next 12 months. And there's a space for you to fill that in. The second option says, I'm already on this more journey. At this halfway mark, I want to confirm my commitment and commit to finish strong for more. And the last option says, I'm already on this more journey. But at this halfway mark, I want to increase my original total commitment by an additional blank amount of dollars. And on the other side is a spot for you to fill out your name and your contact information. So as the band plays a song, I ask that you, you know, spend some time, ask God, you know, what is he asking us to, to give, to be generous, to sacrifice, to bring more help, hope, and home to our city. And then when you're ready, we want you to come up to this more wall on my left, your right. We've got some staple guns there and just staple it to that wall, making that, that statement and that commitment. So why don't you stand and join the band as we sing. What a moment. Man, I love this city and I love this church. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to hearing many more stories just like Henry's. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. God, we thank you that, that we get to be a part of your plan to redeem all of us, to be a part of changing our city. God, we pray that you would take these commitments, these pledges, this generosity and sacrifice that you go before us like you always do and that you'd continue to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week for the kickoff of Here Below and again on March 22nd for Celebration Sunday. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for watching today. Why don't you come join us at any of our four Sunday services? We meet at Sardis Secondary School in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And for more info, you can visit southsidelife.com.